From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me somewhere through the great wilderness of Canada, Ramsey Russell. Where in the heck are you headed now? Man, I'm in a I'm in a top secret location in Saskatchewan. Wouldn't give it up if you made me. I'm with a with a good long term friend and client, and uh, we're doing it yourself. Uh, most of the I'll be up here. I don't know, Rocky, ten more days, and, and it's all do it yourself now. And uh, just teaming up with some friends and clients and associates. And you know, I, my my inbox was flooding this morning uh, after yesterday's Instagram story with people asking me to where I was and I'm like I just don't even answer those you know yeah everybody everybody that duck comes out to know better than to answer those kinds of questions if you value your friendships and 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 a good thing you know but but uh it's a beautiful country and today was real real different uh you know the world's a whole lot bigger than our backyard and we all tend to paint ourselves into our own little corners of what we call duck hunting or goose hunting and you know, waterfowl hunting is, is is a lot bigger and a lot broader, you know, uh, than our own backyard. The world's a lot bigger than our own backyards, and people do things differently. And this morning, we parked the car, and I don't know, we hiked twenty minutes through. You, according to the video, you looked. I, I, I you know what? I, I, let me say this, and I, I'm breaking in, and people get pissed off when I break in, but I want to say something. It's so refreshing to see the Will Primos of the world still doing deer pushes and the Ramsey Russells of the world catching specks coming, you know, coming off of roost. Now, dude, it, out. it was, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I expect because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I was shooting, uh, I brought a lot of these little shorties. That boss men called them. Man, I I got hooked on these two and three quarter inch shells. It's like going old school again. You got to recalibrate your choke, get tighter like you did back in the lead days. And I had fives mostly, but I had some fours. And I said, man, I don't know. You know, pass shooting a lot of times can be, you know, a deliberate sky bust or something. But boy, uh, I packed these little ounce and a quarter fours with a uh, Rob Roberts T3, which I think in a and a Benelli had performed a lot like a, a light, full choke. And, uh, wow, it was foggy. We hiked in about 15 minutes. And, look, this is mule deer country. This is pronghorn country. This is 
it, uh, you could just smell the sage, you know, permeating in that fog this morning. We were hiking up the dim trail and got into position, and it sounded like every speckle belly and crane in the world just beyond the fog. It, it, it was just that alone was worth the walk in, just hearing that, just just hearing that sound of all those wild birds. And, you know, you got to remember, we've talked about this in some upcoming podcasts, you know, these speckle bellies migrate. Uh, my, my, my hunting buddy described it very accurately like an hourglass. You know, these birds are coming from uh, Nunavut to the east, Alaska Arctic to the west, and that's the top part of the hourglass, and they're they're coming right down through this little bottleneck. And once they get below here, they fan out to Mississippi Central and Pacific Flyways, and uh, going their own little ways wherever they go. And uh, I was told on good authority that, that this area uh, we hunted this morning, we hunted near. You can't get you can't encroach on that area. There's a there's a, a, a governmental limit on how close you can get to it. And it's a, uh, you know, because I don't want to disturb them. I mean, obviously, it's a very, it's a very critical area to the speckle belly goose migration. It's where all these birds converge and form uh, the largest white front, white fronted goose roost in the flyway. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And and so you know, and and uh, right off the bat. Um, couldn't see anything in the fog. You don't. You don't know which way to look, man. I mean, I'm, you got to. You got to. You got to be looking 180 degrees all at one time, and in the fog, the birds can pop out anywhere. And I was relieved. I was hoping, you know, that with the with the fog, they'd be way high up above it, or they'd be. They wouldn't. They'd have their bearings off, and they'd be a little lower. So they were all coming over 30 to 40 yards. Some of them higher, but 30 to 40 yards on average. And it was just beautiful. And uh, I mean, just. Uh, I wasted a couple of shots on a too far sandhill crane, but other than that, I was five for five on specs, and I was a happy camper. It felt it felt good. It felt you know I don't know just something about putting uh, something about feeling feeling that weight on your shoulder and hearing leather strap creak. It's just very satisfying, and you know you do it differently and you learn something. We had a had a great time, and now we're on our way to town to get a few groceries, a few odds and ends. That's why I'm driving. I'm not driving. I'm riding. Ramsey, you got a chance to sit down with Matt Shower at Northern Skies Outfitters in Saskatchewan uh, while you were hunting with him last week. So yep. tell us a little bit about that conversation. Well, I, I think everybody's going to really enjoy it because, you know, the, I'm up here hunting in the headwaters of the migration, you know, and it's it's well underway, but this this I've been coming up here a long time. And every year is a little different. I mean, it's not, it, you know, it, it's just, uh, you start off always, always there, there's big Canada's and mallards and pintails. Those are the local birds. But then the Arctic birds start coming in, the little Canada geese, the speckle bellies, the Ross geese, the white fronts. But there's a sense and an order to it. And, you know, and, and these outfitters like Matt, uh, that is a year-round outfitter, 10 months a year, you know, from Saskatchewan to South Dakota, South Dakota to, to Texas Panhandle, Texas Panhandle back to uh, Arkansas, and then chase those snow geese up back to Saskatchewan all the way to mid-May. It, it, it's fascinating his antidotal observations of, of what he sees that that very easily reconciles. And to me, it made for a great discussion talking about this kind of the ebb and flow 
of, of the migration. It, it, and I, I think I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. Matt runs a heck of a heck of a business. I mean, he's one of the kind of the leading outfitters from top to bottom of, of chasing ducks and geese, geese mainly. I mean, that sucker, man, they're, they're shoot, still shooting geese in, in June. Yeah. Almost yeah. the first we of June. We, we, we really kind of, that, that really kind of emerged in this conversation about, you know, and it, it is, if you, if you pay attention, I, I've, I've not hunted, uh, well, I have hunted uh, in the month of May. I've hunted snow geese in Manitoba. I've shot them in the fall. I've shot them in the wintering grounds. I've shot them when they're, when they're, when they're, when they're flying back uh, mid-flyway. And I've shot them, you know, round cycle in May before they while they're fattening themselves to go to the Arctic. But to hear Matt talk about it is is very, very fascinating. You know, uh, just think about it, Rocky. If I say snow goose hunting, everybody everybody's base of reference or their interpretation of snow goose hunting is is, is their baseline. You know, it's like uh, a pit blind in Arkansas or layout layout in, in Louisiana or Texas. You know, but but man, these birds are uh, snow geese are fascinating. They are not sky carp, in my opinion. They're one of the most noble game birds. They they come from high up in the Arctic, uh, up in none of it, and they go clear down to the Gulf Coast and they come back. They turn around over, and, and two months later, they're coming right back down a flyway. They they live a long time. Everybody knows it's hard to kill old birds, and, and it's just to me, it's a very fascinating migration. And and along the way, at those different stops here in, here in Canada in the fall. Uh, as they're migrating down down towards the Gulf Coast, when they're wintering down down in the uh, the part of the world that, that we're all from, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and when they're starting to come back, and then when they're finally sitting back here again, they they change. It's almost like a different goose. Their behavior, their 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 uh, their life ecology is just real different. And uh, so that's 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 kind of where you know we talked about the fall migration, and we talked a little bit about the, the snow goose behavior. Uh, and he gets to see them. He sees them uh, right when he shows up, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he says goodbye to them in May. He, he just st- sticks with them, and I think it makes for some real interesting conversation. He, if there's one person that knows a lot about snow geese, it's Matt. It, it's unbelievable. It well, yep. we will get to that conversation right now. This is Ramsey Russell, GetDuffs.com. It's duck season somewhere. Today is September 12th, and I'm in Saskatchewan. I'm in the land of living skies. This is where it all started for me, my first real trip away from home. I started here in Saskatchewan. I'm here today with Matt Shower, owner-operator of Northern Skies Outfitters. Uh, wonderful guy. I've been here three years. He's a part of our U.S. hunt list. But we're not going to talk about the commercial hunting aspect. Matt's been doing this for a long, long time, and, and I just I marvel. It what guys that, that spend so much time of their lives chasing these birds or helping put clients on birds have really learned about the birds themselves. And, and we're in the headwaters of the migration. Right now it's 100 degrees, Matt, back home. Everybody's swatting mosquitoes and sweating and still mowing grass. And the birds are starting to pile into Saskatchewan. The season's been open here for a couple of weeks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The weather's... Turning. Uh, we had rain the last couple of days. Uh, clouds are breaking this afternoon. Uh, blue skies poking out. We've got a full moon just on the horizon. Um, it's a good time to be in Saskatchewan. I hate hunting in the rain. We hunted, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're supposed to like hunting in the rain. No, I know. I want sunshine and wind and shadows to hide in. 
And one thing I saw up here about, you know, these birds are, are feeding out in these grain fields. Cause right now, even though the crops are a little behind, they're, they're feeding in peas, primarily pea fields is what we've been hunting. And what I noticed those first couple of days, other than the fact I was soaking wet, is the birds didn't fly back to roost midday. They sat out in the field and fed, which kind of screwed up our afternoon hunting. Yeah, absolutely. When it rains like that, there's water in the field. All, all the little ruts in the field catch a little bit of water so they can eat and they can get the water they need right out there in the field. It also softens up the grain. I think it makes it a little easier to digest when everything's wet. Um, so it's very common for them to stay out in the field and feed nearly all day long in those conditions. Yeah, they just they swarm it. And, and they literally, you know, what, I, what I've seen, the typical pattern is we go set up for geese, the birds come off a roost, Maybe they stop and get a drink of water. Then they come and feed. We shoot them. Midday to go back and lay up in a roost. Afternoon to come back out and repeat. Rainy days, they just sit in those fields and feed and fatten themselves all day because they, they got a long way to fly to get down south from here. One thing about this part of Saskatchewan is uh, it, it produces birds. And it seems to me, am I, am I right or wrong, it seems to me it'd be a pretty darn wet year. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a wetter year than than normal up here. We were up here for the better part of the summer working on construction of our new lodge, and it was we had a heck of a time getting a parking lot built. I mean, it rained every other day. Every and day. That's not common at all. And talking to uh, your neighbor, your farming neighbor that was here last night for dinner, great dinner by the way. That uh, what, what you uh, Oscar, uh, Goose Oscar. Yeah, with the hollandaise yep. sauce and the seafood topping, one of one, one of the favorite meals I may have ever eaten at a hunting camp. And, of course, your neighbor shows up because he knows it's good, too. But he was explaining how far he is behind harvesting the crops right now because they were so late getting them in because of that wet that wet year. So, at least locally, production is good. And production is primarily, what, big Canada geese and mallards and pintails? Yeah, local production here is primarily big Canada geese, mallards, and pintails. We produce some gadwall and and I'm sure some divers as well. We see them on the lakes. Now, I don't, uh, I'm no expert on on waterfall production in the area, and I couldn't tell you how the diver production was because we don't pay a lot of attention to them as we're hunting dry fields. Um, but mallards, pintails, the local Canada does, and the biologists I've talked to here in the region all say that they've done very well this year and and way above average numbers. I can see it. But here, here's where here's where I want this conversation to go. Here's what I find so fascinating every time I come to visit you or your observations about the migrations. And it's not just all the waterfowl pick up and migrate at one time. It's stages. It's ebbs and flows. It's very species-oriented. You said something to me the other night at dinner about the mallards, that because, because of whatever happened with the spring, that the mallard, local mallards, seemed to be behind on their egg laying and production this year and that and that therefore the young birds were behind on feeding in the field and i don't know matt i didn't doubt you but i did but yesterday i noticed uh there were six of us hunting a blind i'm gonna say we shot 40 45 mallards i don't remember what exact count was but as i was looking at them there was exactly one juvenile mallard the rest were adults and looking at some of the pictures on the interwebs, uh, best I can tell from pictures laid out in a tableau, they all appear to be, looking at their wings, they all appear to be adult birds, no juveniles. What's up with that? Well, 
Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not a biologist, but I'm fortunate enough to know quite a few biologists and waterfowl biologists. And, and that's an observation I made quite a few years ago that it seemed like our, our earliest hunts in Saskatchewan every year, um, some of the ducks, uh, they didn't, they decoyed well, um, the ducks decoy well, but, um, they acted a little different. It seemed like they got more friendly uh, as the month of September went on, as you got a little later in the season, they, they got more friendly, which isn't really what you They decoyed better, you mean. Yeah, yeah. They, they decoyed better, started responding to mojo ducks better in some of those things. And, and that kind of struck me as odd. And I started paying attention to, to the age of the birds we were killing. And over the years, I've noticed that those the birds you kill the first two weeks of duck season in Saskatchewan, at least in this part of the provenance, um, seem to almost exclusively be mature birds not young of the year birds and when you follow the birds off of the roost you you'd see that uh, you know some of the birds are going to go out and dry field feed if there's dry fields available but other ones are just going from water to some other water they're not going to the dry fields and i got to talking to some of the different biologists i know about it and and the age of the birds we were killing out there in the field and i guess what was told to me was that the birds were uh, a young mallard takes it takes time for their digestive system to develop to where they can handle those those hard grains those cereal grains the peas the wheat the barley um so they don't really key into it immediately when it's available they they've got to be a certain age before they can process that and handle it efficiently and and uh, that's why we don't see those young birds in early September out in the fields often. And but it's all relative to well, when they hatch. It, it makes perfect sense too because year, a young bird, a young bird, his primary uh, nutritional needs is he's building feathers and, and and molting and growing and is going to be fat and protein, which is going to come from invertebrates out in some of these wetlands here. And, and then later, carbohydrate is he's starting to build up energy reserves for the migration. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I actually asked over lunch, I was talking to another guy that's not a biologist, but kind of sort of is and knows a bunch. And and and, and he said, you know, I can't cite it, but I, but I remember having this discussion before and it seemed right. And he said, I don't think it's just ducks. I think it's birds in general. They, they, they start off eating a very high protein fat diet and then over time, but, but you know, I never really noticed that before. You know, in the years past, I've hunted here. The mallard's more friendly. The pintail's more friendly, and it may, it makes perfect sense because those birds maybe had had hatched earlier and had gotten to that stage where they were gorging on grain out in these harvested fields. That's the only sense yeah, I can make and, of. Yeah, and this year, and this year, the the ducks hatched later. Uh, we had the very much colder than average spring. Um, those temperatures hung right around that freezing uh, for several weeks longer than than we'd normally see. Mm-hmm. So the ducks, everything initiated a little later on the nesting. So those young young ducklings, it just takes more time. They've got to put that age on them before they start dry field feeding. Speaking of which, another another something I noticed when I hunted up here with you a couple of years ago, and I, I, this is my third year, same week, same approximate time frame. I like to come early September. I remember I, it, it, the, the shooting whitey, the snows and the Ross geese, especially the Ross geese, it was absolutely magical. It's, it's like the first afternoon I showed up and was moving in. She said, hey, uh, have you got time to go jump in the truck and go shoot some white birds if you want? And I jumped in with a couple of guys and we went out and shot a whole bunch of white geese, limited on white geese, and they were all Ross geese. And, and last year, uh, there, were some raw, there were some white birds. There wasn't many Ross. But as we were, as I was leaving, the weather took a, took a turn 
for cold. A lot of white birds just started piling in. Matt, uh, what are some of the things you, you have seen over the years or, or some of the observations you've drawn about the, the differences you see in year to year and what that means in terms of snow goose population and productivity? Sure. <clears throat> well, when it comes to snow geese, um, I'm always, uh, you get reports from different biologists and there's the official reports that come out in late summer, early August. And we're of course always paying attention to those. But uh, as far as hatch success goes and really knowing how many juveniles are in the, uh, in the flocks of uh, snows that are coming through this flyway that we're in, um, I pay a lot of attention to when the snow geese arrive. Um, the quicker that we see snow geese, um, last year, for example, we had large numbers of snow geese here on September 1st, and uh, large numbers of the Ross geese here already on September 1st. We would drive around scouting and see a 1,000 to 10,000 all in one feed already. And um, when you see that, it's a, it's a bad sign as far as production goes because uh, those birds, they have no need to stay up there on the, on the tundra. They, they don't need to wait for the weather to chase them out. Um, they know there's grain and food and it's the time of the year that they can come down and, and they will come down if they're not raising young and they've got to wait for those young to be strong enough to make that flight. So we start seeing them much earlier on years when they don't have production. And you'll notice in the, in the snow geese that we've shot here, uh, this week that most, if, most of the snow geese that we're shooting right now are adult snow geese. There's no juvenile snow geese in there. Now we are starting to see some Ross geese. And, and that this is a normal time of the year for them to show up. And there is some juvenile birds mixed in with them. And it's not lots and lots of Ross geese in the area yet, but they're just kind of trickling in. And there are some juveniles in them. Um, so that's telling me that, uh, that the snow geese that are coming yet, the, the ones that are coming later this month, are going to have juvenile juveniles in the flocks with them as compared to last year where uh, the large majority of them was already here by mm -hmm. now and they just did ha didn't have any young and a lot of the, a lot of the reports i've read um have said that snow goose productivity was good this year and apparently unlike last year when snow 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 goose productivity was good but there was a late snow that killed them when they're all little furry little fuzzy yellow balls running around in the arctic snow come and covered them up and killed them off which is why we didn't have many juveniles last year so chances are there's going to be more fly down this year, you think? I would, I would say so. Uh, things are pointing in that direction. However, some of the biologists I've talked to uh, recently here have, have indicated that the snow geese, some of the snow geese had a tough year again hatching, but other ones that were, were very successful or uh, averagely successful, uh, they did initiate two or three weeks later than normal. Um, so that puts them in a position yet where they're they're not here because they're still raising those young up on the on the tundra, and this is kind mm -hmm. of a, at that time of the year when snowstorms and ice storms and all sorts of bad weather that could wipe out our favorite little poof balls could come yeah. along. So um, I don't I don't count my chickens before they get off of the tundra. Um, but, believe uh, it when you see them over the decoys. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll believe <laughs> it when I see them over the decoys, and and that should be here in the next three weeks or so. It's, it's an exciting time to see it. You get to see it every year. You get to see the whole migration originate right here at the headwater. It, it starts trickling in a species or a cohort at a time and, and, and doing its thing. So right now, the birds, we're shooting the white birds. I've noticed they're, they're primarily adult birds. They're, they're likely birds that 
didn't breathe or lost their clutch, and for whatever reason, they just don't have a they don't have any children to raise, and they, yeah. they just get started early. Yeah, the bird, the first birds that we always see arriving in Saskatchewan every year are going to be um, there'll be you know local birds that were crippled, didn't make the trip, stayed here all summer. Um, a handful of those, but then when we actually start seeing birds migrating in, the first ones we see are going to be the adult birds. They're going to be either too young to breed. Uh, or too old to breed or birds that for whatever reason a fox raided their nest or something seagulls ate their babies um, they don't have any young to raise so they're getting a head start on that on that south migration and i think uh, i think most people notice that uh, through through all the states uh, even down into the into the lower states as they go south those very first birds that'll show up in Arkansas, Mississippi, yeah, mid October, uh, mid October, early early November. You're going to see uh, the first ones that get there aren't going to have many juvies in, but you can't can't judge the hatch, hatch success by the very no, first birds that, that, that come. That's no different than the blue wing because right now at home, blue wing teal season is open or is fixing to open, and I, I believe the the adult season is going to open Saturday. But for a fact, the, the first big slug of blue wings that we begin to see in August are predominantly adult males, every one of them, they, because, because they don't have a clutch to raise. They're adult to breeding age. Mama's got the babies. Boom, they're going off with the boys down south. And, and some of those years that, that uh, just the timing, you know, when the season opens, that there are times that you can, you can monitor the, the heartbeat of the migration just by, by looking at the sex ratio, the age and sex ratio of the bag, and there are times it'll be it'll be all adult juvenile blue wings, and then as the season progresses and the migration comes in in spurts, all of a sudden you start killing uh, adult hens with, with young birds, and you know, okay, now now I'm into the I'm into the main flow of the migration, and, and it's just you know, but I get that because I'm I'm from the deep south. As we start talking geese, it's very interesting. Last week. Corey no. Loffler and I had a great discussion about moat migrators. And, and I'm just going to tell you this, Matt, you didn't know, I can remember being very excited, uh, phew, 1998, a long time ago, to come to Canada. I, I just, I'd never shot one of these little Canada geese. I shot the big ones. I had never shot a little Canada goose. I wanted to come shoot the littles. And all these years later, the, the, oh, I'll shoot everyone that comes in, but the ones that I'm just enamored with are them great big B-52s. Uh, you know, Michigan. I don't care where they are. I love shooting these uh, these migrator Canada geese. Do you see when you first get up here setting up shop? Is it like? Is it kind of like back home that the big? Because right now, right now we're shooting good numbers of big Canada geese, and a few pairs, a few triples, a lot of smaller what I call family cohorts, five to eight packs. And then some pretty doggone big flocks. Are those big flocks local family groups that are starting to aggregate bigger, or are they migratory moat migrators? What do well, you think? The big when we're talking about the big geese, the the big flocks, the big Canada. the big flocks of big Canadas that you're seeing are, are local geese that are just they're just starting to get together. They're starting to flock uh, up, starting to flock staging. up, starting to stage. Um, we wouldn't have any any big push of big geese migrating down yet um, now we are starting to see some flocks of the lesser canada and we've been and are, we've been shooting cattle the north yeah. and, and they're, they're so much different to me they both kind of sort of look alike other than size with with the dark body and the white cheek patch but their behavior is so much different 
It's almost like those those cackling geese got some snow goose in the wood pile. They like big flocks. They they bark and they're, they're very gregarious and there's a lot of eyeballs. And yeah, sure, you shoot some singles and, and stuff like that to get lost. But mostly you're working big flock, big flocks of the of these big canners. When do when do those cackling geese start to show up? Kind of what is their timing period during this whole fall process? You know, we're right at the start of these cackling geese right now and they'll continue to build numbers and get to be more and more, I'd say, on a, on a normal year, um, they said it was a pretty good hatch year, the way it sounds on those lesser Canada's again this year. But uh, I'd say in a normal year, between the 5th and the 12th of October is kind of where we'll see the peak of those peak. little geese. Yeah, those little lesser Canada's in the area. Is that about the same time for snow geese? They, do they kind of mm. migrate generally the, the, with snow geese? I mean, no, I'm I'd saying, say is the timing, does the timing coincide? Um, snow geese will generally peak just a little earlier. Um, snow geese seem okay. to, you know, kind of last week of September, um, very first couple days of October are typically the, the peak of the snow geese. But uh, all those dates shift a little bit with weather and, and just with the timing of the hatch. Like a late spring usually will indicate that we're going to have a later than average snow goose arrival in the fall just because they nest a little later it takes them a little longer to be able to fly and um, the kind of the same thing applies to those little candles and everything else if the nest initiation is later it takes them a little bit longer to to be able to make the trip and we but really you can see the the stages of the migration watching these birds and the different birds that are coming through the area both as you were talking sex and maturity uh, of the birds it's really neat as you get down towards the end of the season you get down to that late october uh early november time frame and as a guy's scouting you'll watch these ponds that are covered in ducks and you've been looking at fields and ponds full of ducks all season long as part of your scouting routine and all of a sudden one day you'll notice that 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 pond's covered in ducks but there's no hands they're all drakes and and when whenever that it gets to be that uh, that stage of things. I, I always kind of say that. Well, once it's all drakes, we've probably got uh, you know ten days or or one real hard freeze up before we're we're gonna run out of run out of ducks. Because they got the uh, fat reserves and the size, they'll hang back later and just yeah. weather it out. Yeah, got got all what left, whatever foods left to themselves. Yeah, they're just they're feeding, and, and it's the weather that that's gonna push those drakes out. Bad weather. Um, yeah, it's going to be bad weather, cold and ice. They're, they're going to sit right there on that cold and ice line. Um, when when you get them, then you kind of know that you're you're getting near the end of it, that the everything else has kind of come come through. And you'll still have big honkers, um, these big, hardy Saskatchewan honkers that will be lingering around. But, uh, yeah, it's a sure sign that you're you're near the – the end of the fall migration, the fall flight, when you start seeing all drakes. We just, you know, it seems like by the time the birds have staged in southern Canada and up along the northern tier and have, have migrated during the normal winter that they're actually going to migrate like they do, they just show up and they're big flocks. You know what I'm saying? And it's just all mixed and match. It just seems to me, just speaking generally, but, but up here, it, it's so much dynamic going on during the staging period. So you start off hunting local adult mallards, later local juvenile mallards are mixed in with it. You've still got migrator mallards coming in, right? Later, later in the season, yeah. you'll have oh, new absolutely. mallards showing up from up north. Do, do you, is, it, is it like two different pulses? You've got 
You've got the, the non-breeding birds from up north that are pulsing down to here. Then you've got the, the juvenile flocks coming in later, or do they seem to come at one time? Oh, they don't necessarily seem to come at one time. They Like we talked about, the, snow, the non-breeders will be the first ones that show up, and then, and then the breeders. And, and when the successful breeding birds are, are showing up into the area, whether it be Canada geese, snow geese, uh, whatever it is, they're, they're always going to be easier hunting. Um, because they've got those young of the year birds that have never seen one of us before, never seen a decoy, never been shot at. I mean, in, in this particular part of the country, it's it's not uncommon when those snow geese meet their first decoy spread that they come in, you shoot at them, and they make a little half circle, and they come right in again. Oh. And, and, you know, you just recycle them three or four times before they figure it out. And, um, so you'll know when the, when the young of the year birds are mixed in the flocks. Oh, yeah, and I love it, too. You know, people ask me all the time what my favorite duck is, and, and my answer is always the same, a dumb one. I like a dumb duck. Yeah. I like those dumb ducks. Absolutely. They're fun to hunt. They are. You know, what, what are uh, – you've been doing this for 10 years. You, you've got to see a lot of this and, and, uh, and develop a lot – of uh understanding about this stuff but now but then as a as a a guide and outfitter there it really is a lot of people component you know i've always said that i wish i sold light bulbs for a living because light bulbs on and off everybody expects the same thing duck hunting is a very subjective experience am i right You, you really don't get probably don't get a lot of species collectors up here serious species collectors but do you have do you have people show up that, well, how would you describe most of your clients? Do they want to just come up here and have a good time and shoot? Are they opportunistic on whatever a great hunt is? Or do you have guys that come up here and want to focus on one thing over the other? You know, over the years, every hunter is different. Every hunter has a image uh, in their head uh, what the perfect waterfall hunt is, what they really want to get out of a hunt. And uh, you know, because there's so many different species and there's so many different ways to hunt them. Um, yeah, it's very common. You've got a guy that wants to lay out blind hunt, likes to be out there in that layout blind and have those birds landing right on top of his face, wants to be so close he can feel those wing beats on his face. Uh, but then you have your your next group of guys and, and maybe it's older gentlemen and, and they absolutely want nothing to do with the layout blind because they, they want to sit in a chair, they want to be comfortable. Maybe they have a hard time getting up fast enough to shoot birds out of a layout. Put me in that so, category. When they're too close, I usually miss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got to give them a little distance. I've had one or two complaints over the years that the birds are too close. Uh, I've always had an answer for that. Uh, just sit up, wave your gun around. Believe you me, they're going to get farther away. Yeah, they're going to get farther away quick, aren't they? They will. Good answer. Good answer. You know, we were talking about... Uh, Talking about bands earlier, have you got any good band stories? Have you got any? I know you see bands come in left and right. What what is it about a band? Because I've always said, kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, you think about all these wild birds. You shoot an unbanded bird, you're the first person to put hands on him since the hands of God. I mean, it's a truly wild bird. You know, I, I so in one way, all these these bands we're collecting are coming off of birds that have been, uh, you know. Handled, handled, handled yeah. by 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 some pervert biologist or something. You know, yeah. uh, we we cut up and kid about that. But you got any good band stories? Oh, I've got uh, I've got a lot of a lot of band stories. I don't know if any one in particular comes to mind. But uh, as a guide, 
uh, and an outfitter. Uh, a band is really a, a blessing and a curse. Uh, you know, everybody's excited when you shoot a band out there in the field and, uh, and a band, the dog brings a band back to the blind. There's a lot of excitement. But, uh, so I don't know exactly where we crashed, but uh, like I was saying, uh, getting a, a band as a guide or as an outfitter, when you, when you shoot a band, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You're excited to get a band, everybody in the blinds excited to see a band. It can really uh, make a hunt. It can make or break a hunt, it no can, doubt. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's an instant attitude changer to, to have a band come So it's back a blessing because it'll pull any hunt in the world out of the shitter, but it's a curse because who gets the band? Because of who gets the band. And that's that's just it. Everybody's excited when that band gets back to the blind. And and I've, then, I've seen it a million times. There's six guys in a blind in Canada or Netherlands or Arkansas or somewhere, and you're having the time of your life. The birds are flying. The birds are dying. Everybody's high-fiving. And then the dog brings in a band. And yeah. things, things, things start to get quiet. And eventually, I may be exaggerating a little bit, not much, it gets real quiet. Because everybody in the back of their mind thinking, who gets the band? Yeah. How do I get the band? Yeah. Is that I what know. you're saying? Yeah. Who, yep. gets, who gets the band? If, 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 well, if you got a team up here in Saskatchewan, who gets the band? Well, if I see the band come back, and and they don't see the band come back. The first thing I'll do is I'll ask, "Hey, who who shot that bird over there on the right?" Uh, or you know, who if there's just two birds shot, be, uh, who was who shot those birds? And and I'll see who volunteers that they shot those birds because now we've narrowed it down. Um, and then and then we'll go about figuring. Out, then I'll reveal that that bird was banded, and we'll go about trying to figure out who who gets it. Now, if it's a private group of hunters. Um, then my job is super easy because there's been one guy from that group who organized the whole trip who's team been my leader. point of contact, contact the team leader um, it, it's going to be his problem deciding who gets that band I'm just going to hand it to him and tell him <laughs> congratulations I know uh, some team leaders uh, going to pocket it they're going to get it automatically Yeah. oh absolutely and, and when that happens uh, all them hunters will come back the next year wanting to book trips but you better believe they all went out there and tried to recruit their own six guys so they can be team leader because they're, they're not going to let that band slip away from them another I year swear. that's now, hilarious what, what, are some of the, uh, what are some of the ways y'all if you don't have a private group, you got five or six guys or whatever in here. How do you how do you decide now? Now it's your problem to decide who gets a band. How do you do that? Well, like I said, if if I see the band come back before they see it, I'll grab it and then I'll ask. I'll ask that question that you know who shot that who shot that mallard drake or you know who shot that one snow goose over there on the right. And, and usually there'll be a couple guys that say, "Oh yeah, I shot I shot that one or I shot at that one." and and then I'll reveal it's banded, and now we're down to just the two or three that that said they shot it, and we've got to figure out between them who gets it, and we can draw straws or shell, you know, pull shotgun shells out of a hat, or um, sometimes we just play a little game of stud poker. I deal with each a poker hand. Whoever's got the best one gets the band. Best two um, out of three. Best and, three and, out of four. And that's where that's best five where it out goes next. That's where it goes <laughs> next, and we find out who really wants it the most. Uh, but we get all different types of creative with it. We've had guys want to wrestle for it. We've had guys want to race for it. Um, 
Have you, you, have you ever had anybody get seriously in a fight or get their feelings hurt over a freaking band? Um, I've, I've seen some guys get the, get feelings hurt. I've seen grown men get their feelings hurt because it was a mixed group and the other side of the mixed group uh, got to keep the band. You know, if it's a if I got three on my right and three on my left and everybody shot at that banded bird, um, we're gonna, I'm going to decide who gets it. From the guy, from the group that was on my right to the group that was on my left, and then it's going to go from there to the group leader of that particular group, and he's going to decide out of the three of them which one gets it. Yeah. Um, I try to pass off that band uh, delegate responsibility as quickly as I can. Yeah, go find a cup uh, of coffee and something else to do. Yeah, let them figure yeah, it out. Yeah. What? What? Uh, but, uh, I'm sure, given the species, y'all mostly shoot up here. That snow geese probably the most prevalent. Banded species, and what next? Mallards? Yeah, snow geese. Uh, I don't know for a fact that they're the most prevalent banded, but just because the limit is twenty birds per person right. per day, the sheer amount of snow geese that are coming through camp, you see more banded. Most, that's snow what geese I meant to say. Most else. band recoveries um, y'all encounter don't yeah. probably be snow geese. Yeah, and after after that, it would really be a toss up between the the lesser Canadas and the uh, and the mallards, and we don't see very many of the big canada bands i just uh, we must not be in the right flyway right here you know you go down to the dakotas uh where i'm from and we see a lot of big honker bands they band a lot locally there so if we were hunting there the the more prevalent band would be that, the big that honker. makes sense you know because what little i know about a moat migrator will fit in my visor you know but uh a nice discussion with Corey last week. And as he was explaining those birds going up to Hudson Bay and molting and, and then flying back down, the, the principal flyway would carry them probably more along the woodlands uh, from, you know, where that wood line starts hitting the prairie and it kind of comes out in central Minnesota. And from there, they, they fan out south, you know, down to Iowa or Illinois, wherever they're going, and east over towards New York and then, and then west out, you know, as far west as Colorado and Utah. So I can see where y'all may be a little out of that major moat migrator corridor. I, that that makes perfect sense. What are what are some of the most interesting bands you've encountered or have seen turn up? Because you know, I'm sure there's some good ones. I've seen I've seen a couple snow geese from Russia over the years. Oh. Um, you know, taken by our clients, a uh, neck collar and was it written band. in Russian? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, they were neat. You definitely knew uh, it was something different as soon as you looked at it. Um, we've seen two of those over the years, uh, but some of the more in fall interesting. Fall hunts or spring hunts? Those were both in spring hunts, okay. conservation hunts in the U.S., actually. Okay. Um, South Dakota, both of them, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, wow. Uh, but uh, up here in, in Saskatchewan, I've probably seen some more interesting things, I guess. Uh, I've seen a white PVC pipe on the neck of a big Canada goose, and you know I don't know who caught that goose or how they got that pipe on there, um, but a solid chunk of white PVC pipe, and everybody was excited, thought it was a neck collar, and uh, not just a just a white PVC pipe, but maybe a little more uh, of a trophy than a than an actual neck Probably collar because there's not pet. a lot of those out there. I mean, maybe some kid's pet, but it looked like a like a regular big honker to me he wrote don't uh, shoot on the collar and it wore <laughs> off in the weather <laughs> oh uh, 
got a uh, lesser Canada once with just a, a solid red leg band on it, just the number four. No contact info, no nothing else, just a, a red piece of iron with the number four on it. But it was cackle. Original. It was a cackle, a small bird. It was a, it was a lesser Canada, absolutely. It definitely well, there's a chance it a, came out of captivity or something, you know, oh, yeah. zoo yeah, or an aviary, but who knows? You don't know. You don't know. It's a, kind of an original. Uh, once got a snow goose with a hose clamp on his leg. Um, just a just a weird deal. Uh, who knows where it came from or how it got there, but kind of a one of a kind one of a kind trophy. And I kind of think that stuff is uh, maybe even neater than a than a real leg band. Mm-hmm. Matt, I want to I want to wrap up our conversation. I find this very interesting because you've you've been doing this full time all the time, and, and you're a ten month outfitter. You're I hear I have a lot of clients call and say one day one day when they're old and have a camper they want to start up in canada and follow the birds all the way down to the gulf coast and then back up you know they they and you do that i mean oh, you're absolutely. you're you're full-time in this game uh saskatchewan south dakota texas arkansas south dakota saskatchewan i mean it's, it's a big loop isn't it yeah yeah we just uh, we start here and we we follow them all the way down to texas and we turn around and we follow the spring geese right back to here and we'll wrap everything up here in the spring about the 17th to 20th of may when all these geese get up go over the trees and disappear uh, until they come down again in the fall how do you know how do you know in that spring when it's over over how do you know it's over how do you how do you look up and say it's over in the spring, it's uh, it's a photo period, and it's the same uh, same day every year. You know, it'll change with a leap year, um, but it's a, once there's enough hours of daylight, minutes of daylight in the day, the timing gets right, and it'll be for our particular area. It's going to be the 17th to the 20th of May. Um, it's just that one day, and you'll be out hunting in the morning, Ramsey. Uh, decoys all set up. You're in the feed. You're where those geese were. Um, we make sure those when we know it's getting close to that time of the year we're always going to hunt a feed that's on the north side of wherever the birds are roosting because the day that they leave they're leaving north picking up and, and going and i've been on i've been out there hunting on that day and been on the in a field they've been feeding in for a week and on the south side of the roost and watched every one of my geese get up and go north and leave none of them come back to me uh, but fortunately if you're hunting on that day of the year all the geese uh, to the south of you, all the geese everywhere in this part of the world get up and go north at the same time. So we were still able to shoot our limit of geese. They were just traffic geese coming out of the south going north and just stopping for a bite along the way. Um, they were saying it. goodbye, and, and oh, oh, yep. Dad oh, just one, got shot. We were yeah. almost done. All these days getting hunted. Just one more. Mess one up more, on the last one pass. One more mouthful of peas. <laughs> yeah, uh, one you know, more on mouthful. Out. Maybe they taste a little better than that tundra grass. Matt, I appreciate you. This is this has been a good conversation. I hope all these other guys enjoyed it. Uh, uh, hey, check us out on Instagram, Ramsey Russell Get Ducks. We try to post daily all these great adventures. I'm sure y'all would like to see what we've been putting away up here in Saskatchewan the last few days with Northern Skies Outfitters. And Ramsey, I, like we talked about in the opening, man, Matt knows a lot not only about snow geese but the migration of waterfowl overall it's it's unreal yeah you know it's not scientific but it doesn't have to be a body of science i mean you know uh our observation as hunters is valid it's important it's, it's what drives us and makes us better hunters instinctively and uh and i just i really enjoy hearing uh accomplished people like him that spend a lot of days out in the field 
hearing their observations. And he, he's kind of uh, lit a fire in the maze just hearing that story where we wrapped up, you know, about where those geese are in their life cycle right there in mid-May before they all just basically get up and leave at one time to go to the Arctic. It, it, it's got me wanting to go hunt them. I've not hunted them like that yet, but I intend to. Ramsey, do you think it it should be that every waterfowler, and I, I know that you're going to say yes to this because it's a part of who you are and your business, but every waterfowler should chase ducks or geese. You know, it doesn't matter from from top to bottom and back to the top, which you're not going to do that with ducks, but at least once, at least once. Oh. And if you if you love it that much. To to understand what's going on, it it's got to be an amazing thing to for for what you learn chasing them from top to bottom and back up. Oh yeah, yeah, Rocky. And of course, of course, I think everybody should should travel. But you know, every real duck hunter that I know does travel or wants to. Every one of them, you know, they may not want to go to Azerbaijan or Argentina or or, or some place like that. Um, but I believe there's only two kind of duck hunters: those that want to go to Argentina and those that have been. But because because of the trigger pulling part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, we are duck hunters. And we love waterfowl, and we have to understand. You know, the more we understand and know about them and their behavior, the, the better hunters we become. So the more we enjoy it, and uh, Ducks migrate, and I just see where a lot of hunters, even if they're just just within driving distance of their home, they tend to migrate to different habitats so within their state or their home county or different states or different flyways. And and I tell people, I I talk to uh, fortunately a lot of young people, especially that are that are collecting or want to get into this or get into that. And 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 I I, I warn them, you know, and I know it's futile to warn them, but I, I say just be careful because it's a real slippery slope. You know, the, the further you go down the trail, the further the further it beckons you to come further. And, and it's a fascinating journey. It's a fa- fascinating migration, you know, as a hunter. We, we become uh, we become better hunters. And I say we become better people just because of the, the other people and the other cultures and the other species. And, and it make it makes us evolve as hunters, Rocky, because, you know, we all we all learn the basics, the fundamentals of duck hunting. Mallards, they wrote the rule book. But, but then not all species are mallards. Not all species are snow geese or Canada. They've all got their own behavior. And it makes it makes That's us right. better hunters and better people uh, as we gain understanding in that. We gain understanding by experience. And so, uh, yeah, I think everybody should travel. And I think everybody, I think everybody wants to anyway. Nah, I do too. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's unreal that, uh, like you talk about this, it's unreal the difference in the behavior as as you travel around you know <laughs> mallards in mississippi are so wary about a well coming into a decoy spread and then you you skip out to oklahoma and they they, they try to kill you falling into a spread yeah literally thousands yeah it's so different everywhere you go no it is it and and, and, and the reading birds Reading their behavior and learning to adapt. You know, I thought I thought Ira, you know, Ira hit the nail on the head yesterday talking exactly. about the seasons and and you know and 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 the more you hunt, you know, it's like it's like just imagine your start job tomorrow as a carpenter, 
and, and you got, you know, your boss gives you this little tool belt with a hammer. And, uh, but you know, a week later you, you buy a tape and a week later you buy a crowbar and a week later and a week later, you know, before you know it, you got this whole big toolbox. And, and still you're going to encounter problems. You look in your toolbox and you don't have exactly what you need to, for the job at hand, but you make it work. The fun, that's the really, really, to me, the rewarding part, the fun part about what we do. You know, I, I, I just, I just, Rocky, I just perceive uh, a lot of these young people, and I'm not judging, you know, uh, hunting is not a one-size-fits-all thing. I just perceive that younger hunters, less experienced people, are looking for a silver bullet, you know, like a light switch. Flip it on, lights on, flip it off, lights off. And it's not that. Hunting and duck hunting is not that, you know. And and uh, you as a hunter, and and hunting collectively as a tradition, and the wildlife as a resource itself demands more respect than just go out and shoot them and go back. I mean, you know, it, it is a game of sorts, and like life, figuring it out is is the fun part. Being on top of the hill, big deal, man. It, it's the it's the walk up to the top. That, that defines it and and that that's what that's what pulls me along this trail anyway Ramsey talking about behavior it, it, it I've walked into spots uh, in the central flyway you know from Texas through Oklahoma and Kansas and you, you look at some of these spots some of these old what we call hill ponds here in Mississippi it, you're like a duck's not coming in here there's no way, or, or cattle tanks for the guys out out Central Flyway. They would they would never land in something like that in Mississippi, and, and and it just amazes you. They 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 stand on top of one another in those little two acre ponds. Yeah, no, it it it's uh, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if it's just what what they're able to do. You know, I mean, if it's what if, if I wonder if it's like preference or availability. That's what I find myself wondering. It doesn't matter, but man, you get off in that part of the world, it doesn't look like oh, duck country. You know, it doesn't. You know, like I say, it's all about our baseline. You don't. It doesn't look like duck country. You know, just like today, walking out in that in that in those those uh little scrub willows and sage grass, it just didn't look like anything I'd ever productively goose hunted in. But it was amazing. And uh, and and you get out there parts of the west, and you're just in this prairie in these little potholes, these little stock tanks, and ducks are just coming in. You just lay down and think, well, man, it's just I can shoot across this thing. It's nothing. And you leave. Yeah. You leave a few minutes later with a half dozen gadwalls slung over your shoulder. You know, it, it's just <laughs> it, it, that, that's such a wonderful experience. It just it just I love doing new things. I love finding new little facets of of this this jewel uh, of waterfowling it's just just, that's what makes it so great i agree i agree i look forward to more conversations i I think this is going to quickly become a popular part of this podcast because it's just like that guy told me last night ramsey Uh, you know a guy walked up softball game or softball practice and he said man love podcast blah 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 he said i said what do you think about the new episode with with ramsey that that's we've we've put in there and he you know he said man i felt like i was sitting at the table with him i couldn't say anything 
but I felt like I was sitting at the table listening to them talk. He said, it is a really, really cool concept. And I said, I think so, too. I, I really think so. So, Ramsey, thank you for taking the time to do this. Yes, sir. I'm enjoying it. Thank you all for listening. Ramsey, be careful, and we will talk to you again probably first part of next week. Uh, but thank you again for doing all this. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckTuff.com.